is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's WebRadio.com. Coming at you again, folks. It's been a week since the presumptive nomination of one Donald J. Trump has been put into the record books. And... uh the reaction has been apoplectic. You like that word, David? We've seen apoplectic reactions. I just looked it up. I learned it from Pee Wee's Big Adventure many years ago. It was the word of the day one time. Um, and I looked it up again. And that has described some of the reactions to the Trump presumptive win. There's been a lot of folks that have adopted the hashtag never Trump. And we've had several presidential or former presidents come out, mainly the Bush family, saying that there's no way they could support Donald Trump. Marco Rubio has come out, said he wouldn't be the VP. We've had kind of a knee-jerk reaction. and um, But then you got I, Cheney. Well, what did Dick Cheney say he was for Trump? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, good. I mean, there, there has been some grudging support for Trump. I believe Rand Paul has endorsed him now, Mitch McConnell. So basically, he's doing well in Kentucky. Um I just think that too many people are making assumptions right now, and we're nary a week out of the uh, the new reality. I think a lot of people are still in shock. A lot of folks didn't take the Trump campaign seriously. But what they really didn't take seriously was the outrage of the voters, who, granted, I will not give the voters a whole lot of credit for looking at this strategically, but... It is a watershed moment for the Republican Party, a Republican Party that has uh, been inept and unable to change the direction of many things in D.C. And the biggest problem is that they ran saying that they could. That's the problem, is they, the, the constituents feel lied to. They said, if you give us the House, we'll stop. And I will say the House of Representatives being in Republican control, it did stop some things. It did not reverse anything and that's could what and they what, that's what they promised right david is could that and would. could and would that's what they promised and the, the, and the senate and and, and, and 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 here in georgia obviously in the in with uh you know david purdue in a contested race against michelle nunn and uh the other we we really had a, a huge wave election in 2014 republicans take the senate people spent a lot of time and money making that happen and unfortunately haven't gotten very good results um now, is it, 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 is it, was it possible that Obama was going to repeal Dodd-Frank and Obamacare? Probably not. Should the people running for those positions have been realistic in their promises? Would that have maybe headed off this Donald Trump phenomenon? What do you think, David? Uh, you know... It's a tough question, but tough let's question. hear you speculate. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, like, like Trump has said and like a lot of uh, analysts have said... Um, the American voter, and, and I, th- I think we should take a look at two things. One is you got the phenomenon of Sanders. Well, that's not the American voter. That's a bunch of dumb kids that don't know which college they go to. Um, <laughs> they just want it to be free. They just we want don't it ca- to be free. We don't but care uh, what college we go to uh, as long as it's free. The, uh, <laughs> the Trump voters, I think we've seen... You know, it's a, the, the old silent majority. It's not the silent majority. It's the people that are pissed off and fed up with Congress. And, you know, I keep, I keep thinking about 
the crybaby Republicans are well, if Trump if if Trump runs, we're going to lose Congress. Well, we hadn't gained Congress. They've done like you just said. They've done very little for us as a Republican Republican House and Republican Senate. If we get the Senate, we'll be able to change the world. Well, they haven't changed anything. Mitch McConnell <laughs> yeah. is the biggest wuss I've ever seen. Yeah. So I think what we're seeing is a revolution. And if Congress, if, if the Republicans lose both houses or one house, I don't think it's Trump's fault. I think it's uh, each and every one of their... Their respective their faults, respective, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they've lied to us. Congress has lied to us. Um, so I, I don't think they can blame been, or throw rocks at Trump for that. Yeah. I mean, in fact, the the Senate was always now, going to be oh, difficult. Now, let me add one thing. Okay. Yeah. I think it would be very interesting to see if Trump comes out and says, look, I support the Republican candidates running for House and Senate. we got to try it. You're going to vote for me. <laughs> He knows that everybody's going to vote for him. You're going to vote for me, so go ahead and vote for the Republicans, and let's see what we can really do when we hold a majority in both houses mm-hmm. and we have the administrative, we have the executive branch. What do you think? Uh, well, and and again, we have seen a massive uh, turnout for the Republican primaries. The turnout is up more than 20%. A lot of people are saying that that's Democrats crossing party lines. I I don't think so. Uh, I think the Democrats have two candidates, uh, Bernie Sanders, who certainly uh, has excited the base. Somehow a 74-year-old socialist has excited uh, the younger people and the, the more communistic uh, progressives, if you will. Uh, and then you have kind of the old standby Hillary Clinton, who's done extremely well in the black community, uh, and held on to, I guess, uh, his establishment Democrat, a a word. The Democrats, the centrists, the moderates, if you will, uh, that look past her corruption and um, ch- kind of give her a pass on all of that stuff just because of her last name and the fact that her husband, we can argue this, well, it's really hard to argue, Bill Clinton presided over a successful eight-year term. Uh, was it because Republicans actually had a spine and helped pass through a lot of things? And actually, Bill Clinton, uh, to give him credit, he did push welfare uh, reform through. We had a balanced budget amendment. Um, a lot of things happened that made the economy pretty strong back then. And, um, you know, it was right before the dot-com burst. There was a, it's, we're in a completely different world right now, just 20 years later. Uh, so any of her husband's good things, and in fact, she's going to be having to fight the NAFTA uh, trade agreement that he signed um, because it is uh, causing jobs to, to move overseas. Now, on a broader economic perspective, is it better for other countries to be making soccer balls and T-shirts? Probably. I mean, we need to be uh, doing higher-end manufacturing, high-tech manufacturing, uh, because the jobs pay more. They require more skilled labor. Um, you know, we do not need to compete with China on making soccer balls. Um, that's that's a, a natural uh, evolution of things, in my opinion. But, um, you know, you look at what Donald Trump has done. He expertly was able to label all of his opponents, right? Jeb, you're low energy. Lion Ted. Uh, Carly was eh, a little bit of a flash in the pan, but he was able... Little Marco. even All these little one-liners that he had really identified him. Marco Rubio made a mistake. It turned out to be a mistake. At the time, I didn't think it was a horrible idea to try to get into the mud 
with Donald Trump. But as the playwright George Bernard Shaw said, never wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty, but the pig likes it. And we saw Marco Rubio's campaign lose a lot of its uh, credibility when he got into the who's got bigger hands, me or Donald fight. Um, Trump likes that stuff. His supporters uh, tend to be more... uh, um, I guess emotional would be the best uh, word. It's not a pejorative. Emotional. Uh, and emotions do vote. Should you vote on a motion for, for, from a strategic perspective? No, but a lot of these folks are looking at a Republican Party that feigns conservatism. They pretend to be conservatives, but they don't act like it. They don't vote like it. They spin like drunken sailors. What what I think is both parties have been dishonest with the American people. The Democrats say that we can have this high level of social programs and, and everybody gets free stuff. If only we tax the rich, those evil rich. And the Republicans can say, oh, we can have all this stuff and we're going to lower taxes on everybody. They're not being honest. If we want to keep the level of services that we have, if we want to keep the level of government that we have right now, you will have to raise taxes. That's right. I'm not. I'm not advocating that we raise taxes. I'm. I am being honest with the American people. If you if you like things the way they are, you're going to need to start paying for it. So that's going to leave you the question of you know what? Maybe I don't need this all powerful federal government. Maybe I don't want to pay for illegal immigrants to go to school. Maybe I don't want illegal immigrants to get all these welfare benefits. Maybe I don't think we need to be spending for the defense of Western Europe. I, that, I, I'm just throwing out some areas where we could cut spending. Well, what did you uh, think of what they came out with yesterday, that we have the lowest ready military? It's lower than it was before World War II. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me because we've we've relied on – you know, these technological advances, uh, the spy satellites and drones. And Obama has really tried to defang our military. He's worked very hard to do so. We're still spending seven times more than China, our second competitor. So what are we spending it on, David? $600 toilet seat? <laughs> the, the, the $200 hammer? Yeah, so we're not – the fact that our military spending has not dropped but our, our readiness has – Shows you how inept of a commander in chief Obama has been, and I and I think this has been on purpose too. Though I mean, they they, they do not want, believe in American exceptionalism. They don't believe that we should be the leader of the world. They don't believe that we should be setting the example for other nations to follow. They think that they can tear us down by bringing in a lot of folks from a lot of other countries, overloading our welfare system, defanging our military, and apologizing. For what has made us the greatest nation on earth. And that's what's really made a lot of people angry. And, you know, we have 21 million veterans and probably uh, 20,999,000 of those veterans are armed. One ought to think about that. Well, you ought to think about the most armed nation in the world. In fact, uh, our Second Amendment policy basically has kept the United States from ever being invaded. (laughs) 
the Japanese said if we invaded during World War II, there'd be an American sniper or American partisan behind every blade of grass with a gun. They know that there was no chance they could ever invade the continental United States. Nobody's really even tried to invade Alaska. You know, <laughs> Which I, I guess I, is kind of it's on North America. I but think, I mean, uh, that would certainly be the closest to Russia. Sarah Palin can see Russia from her house. Your, uh, your ISIS will try <laughs> to invade us. They are invading us silently. And um, I think... I don't think it's going to be long before you'll see more and more Americans. A lot of people carry, and a lot of people carry uh, concealed. Right. But I think it'll, you'll start seeing people carrying not concealed. I do, too. we got a good show today, folks. Stan Jester from the DeKalb Board of Education is coming in, and yeah, uh, we'll be chatting with him about 2.30. We also have Public Service Commissioner Tim Eccles calling in, and uh, he'll be on the line with us here when we return from our uh, first commercial break. You are listening to Greg's List only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com. 
the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's Us Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's AmericasWebRadio.com. We're joined now by Tim Eccles, the public, uh, one of the public service commissioners for the state of Georgia. Tim, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us today on Greg's List. Man, I'm great. Just economic development with middle Georgia. I wish I was there with you in the studio. Yeah, you know, we do have a very nice studio here, but it sounds like economic development in middle Georgia, which I guess is that near Macon somewhere? Is that uh, the, the location you're at? In fact, I'm uh, I'm going through Macon as we speak. I just left Eastman, Georgia, which is in Dodge County, which is about 45 minutes south of Macon, heading toward uh, Jekyll Island. Well, that sounds good. Listen, uh, we've got a... A big race coming up here. Public Service Commissioner. A lot of folks don't know exactly what the PSC does, but uh, I thought I'd have you on. You'll be running for a second term. You've been with them for, I guess this is going into your sixth year. Is that correct? Yes. So you've had plenty of time to learn the ropes. Tell us a little bit about what PSC does and uh, some of what uh, you've been trying to do to help improve Georgia's economy and how how much of an impact it really does have on people's day-to-day lives. Yeah, well, back in 1879, the uh, the legislature created the Railroad Commission, which uh, was uh, was then the, what the Public Service Commission has become, and they created it because railroads had monopolies, territorial monopolies, pieces of track that they had exclusive control over, and as, as often happens or occasionally happens when someone has a monopoly, they can take their customers for granted. They can develop a little bit of a bullying attitude and so the legislature created the commission to make sure that 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 didn't happen and as things like the telegraph and gas service and eventually electricity and then phone uh, as these things developed uh, the legislature gave those to the commission uh, to not only protect consumers against uh, a, a monopoly but also to make sure that those companies that had those monopolies that they that they served that they served well, and that's one of our roles today is to make sure these companies are healthy. Uh, and so, you know, a healthy power company, for example, uh, gets a better bond rating in New York, and and then they pass that cheaper interest on their onto their consumers. So it, it is in all of our best interest to have our companies like AGL and Georgia Power to have them as healthy as possible but we want to make sure that ratepayers are being taken care of right yeah because i mean here's here's kind of the thought behind it uh, you have companies like a georgia power and they almost have to be uh, benevolent monopolies reason why is if you have a bunch of competing power companies and they're all trying to lay their own uh wiring and, and putting up their own electrical grids you uh well you're running into a lot of danger it's a lot of space issue eminent domain can come into play it to me it seems like that the uh uh, utilities do need to be regulated. Now, they did re- deregulate the gas uh, several years ago, and that's why you have all these marketing companies like Scana and uh, Gas Out right. and, and stuff that's like right. that. What, um, what kind of impact does it do uh, when, when we deregulate uh, some of these industries? Does it usually help the consumer, or does it just confuse them? Well, the theory is always that it's going to help them. And, you know, Georgia deregulated gas, and it's become kind of the gold standard across the country for that. Primarily because we don't allow the people who own the pipes to sell the gas and compete against other companies because they would have an inherent advantage. And in Texas, they've deregulated electricity, 
And I'm often asked, hey, shouldn't we just go ahead and deregulate electricity? And my comment is, look, things aren't broken on our grid. <laughs> and before you start monkeying with something as important as reliable electricity, you better have a good reason. So at this point, I don't think we have a good reason, Greg, to deregulate electricity. The gas dereg is, I think, going as planned. We've got competition in Georgia. Mm -hmm. We've got a very cheap price per therm. I encourage all of your listeners to, if they can, to lock in at a fixed fixed rate, and uh, those rates are, are pretty low right now. Gotcha. So uh, Georgia power rates, Georgia uh, power being the, the large. Now, we do have some also electrical uh, membership co-ops here that uh, I guess don't really compete directly with Georgia power, but that's something that the PSC uh, is always in some kind of negotiation with. What's the outlook for that uh, for the next uh, couple years? Yeah, you know, there's, there's good news. We dropped, uh, we approved a rate drop in January of $2. Folks may not have noticed that on their bill two dollars per you know on, on the average bill um but with this with this merger coming up of agl and and southern company that we approved part of the stipulation was that georgia power wouldn't ask for a rate increase for three years so that essentially means we're locking rates for three years and by the way those rates are about to drop in june four dollars and sixty cents per customer uh, because of cheap natural gas Mm -hmm. uh, which we're using at, at certain plants across the state. So I think the outlook is good. We're going to have we're going to have locked utility prices essentially, uh, at least as far as the rates are concerned, for three years. All right, let's talk about some alternative energy. Um, there certainly has been some movement to uh, increase solar, and and for me. Uh, in my opinion, solar is the most viable alternative energy. Uh, wind power, to me, it seems like it uses up a lot of land that could be used for food. Uh, and I'm not, uh, and uh, I don't know. I just, I'm not like one of these uh, Greenpeace folks or or uh, Sierra Club that worries about all the birds that die. But again, that can be a problem. Birds are an important part of the the ecosystem, and there's a certainly unintended consequences for that. But tell me where you stand on like the solar power versus wind power debate. If either of them are something that Georgia uh, is going to be a leader in during the next uh, decade or so. Well, certainly, when I took office in eleven two thousand eleven, I think we were thirty fourth in solar, and I immediately you know, uh, added solar to my Winterville home where I lived, and, and I created the Solar Express, the Alternative Fuel Roadshow. I really began preaching that preaching that these alternative forms of energy had a place, but we don't need to subsidize it. I, I was concerned about any subsidy. Mm -hmm. And so the commission, the commission kind of, we just waded into it very slowly. We, we did a little bit in 2012. Uh, but in 2013, the prices really dropped, and we were able to add a su significant number of megawatts to our grid. And, in fact, we've become fourth in the nation, and with the amount that we're going to add this summer, we could surpass past North Carolina and become third uh, You know, over the next three years. So I do anticipate more solar regarding the wind. Uh, frankly, we just do not have the quality of wind. It, you know, it's not a matter of, of of the birds and us not doing it because of the birds. Uh, I mean, you know, no, we don't want to put a windmill right in the path of migratory birds, certainly. But we just don't have the wind speed here. And so that's why you're going to see us buying a lot of wind power from Oklahoma and 
essentially wheeling it down to the western part of the grid that we're in, into the southern power system mm-hmm. in Mississippi. So we'll we'll get it from Oklahoma, we'll wheel it down to Mississippi. We won't actually use the electrons here, but it will it will go essentially, you know, towards our energy usage. Um, and you know, I, I think it's going to be all good. The wind power is really cheap coming out of Oklahoma right now. Mm-hmm. My main concern, Greg, is just keeping rates low. I don't want to do anything to raise rates because cheap rates attract business, it attracts manufacturing, and it helps us continue. Uh, to provide good jobs to our people. Right, it does. Okay, and then um, I did want to touch on this electric vehicle credit. I I was not a fan of it. Um, you are. Tell me how I'm wrong on this and see if you can convince me that uh, this tax credit was actually a good thing uh, for Georgia. This is not an adversarial comment. I'm, I'm happy to hear your point of view on it, and I'm open-minded. Yeah, well, it was created by a Republican, um, you know, a number of years ago, so it was a Republican initiative to to kind of jumpstart, uh, you know, a, a segment of the economy. So okay. if you think about nuclear power, right? We have two reactors being built. They're getting, uh, <laughs> a, they're they're getting a better is, 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 one, is one ever going to be finished? <laughs> uh, they, they will be finished. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a, that's another question. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. Which I'm happy to discuss. But yeah. uh, but back to cars. Tim, we're losing you a little bit. Are you uh, back in? Are you back in Eastman? Are you in Dodge County? <laughs> hey, Tim, we, we you got cut off the last little bit there. Well, looks like we're having a little bit of a problem with the cell phone towers down in middle. Hey, I can hear you. I can hear oh, you now, Greg. Okay, all right. Let's try to finish up here, Tips. Okay, so I wanted you, we're talking about electric vehicles. You're going to convince me that I'm wrong, that we should not subsidize uh, for-profit auto manufacturers. Well, look, well, look I, I'm not a legislator, okay? I don't set tax policy. I, I'm an energy regulator. Gotcha. And my, my only point was, Electric vehicles were good for the grid because they were being charged at night when we have ele- excess electricity, and I felt like that it really dovetailed well with our with our grid. So okay. we, we've got this really cheap power at night. We're pouring it into these cars, uh, and then the cars are running in the daytime, zero tailpipe emissions, and we, we had developed a little bit of a niche market, right? We were the number one market for the Nissan Leaf in America surpassing L.A., surpassing Seattle, surpassing New York. And so I felt like we were on a roll um, and that we that we had, that we were attracting some businesses uh, that, that it was, you know, there, there are some businesses that that are, that are that value sustainability, and I felt like uh, this is going to be something our Chamber of Commerce can sell to these guys. So, gotcha. I mean, I don't worship the earth, you know. I, I, I mean, uh, I am... I'm all about helping people save money. Electric cars have been a real favor for our family, and I just felt like they would help others. Fair enough. Well, uh, that's a debate that I'm sure is going to uh, continue. I guess with the electric cars, the uh, uh, the favorability of those obviously drops a little bit with the uh, lowering of gas prices, too. I've talked to a lot of folks who really see the future uh, in Georgia and, and actually in the U.S. as an automated uh, fleet of cars, not necessarily heavy rail. Uh, real quick, we've got about 60 seconds. Uh, what do you think is more likely, heavy extending heavy rail across Georgia or a uh, an automated car grid? 
probably automated car grid. I mean, either one are expensive, and I don't anticipate. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't anticipate uh, either of those in, in terms of rail transportation, if that's what you mean, yep. or an automated car grid. I don't anticipate any of that happening in twenty years. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be slow. Um, you know, we've got such traffic problem, problems in Atlanta mm-hmm. and the South. I, I don't know that the automated car grid necessarily helps us solve that problem. Gotcha. Tim Eccles, Public Service Commissioner, primary election coming up on May 24. Thanks for taking time out today, and uh, we'll have the podcast put up later for your listening enjoyment. Tim, thanks again for calling in. You're listening to Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio.com. Just finished up with Public Service Commissioner Tim Eccles talking about uh, uh, some speculation on the future of uh, power and energy and uh, alternative energy here in the great state of Georgia and uh, really across the nation. And uh, right now I'm excited to have Stan Jester, who's uh, on the DeKalb County Board of Education, uh, District 1 area, it's the northern part of DeKalb. But technically, I always think that people represent, if you're an elected official, you technically represent everybody. And Stan wanted to welcome me into the show today. Got some uh, news, and, and it may seem like this is a local uh, issue for my folks that are listening, uh, maybe in other states or maybe not even in the metro Atlanta, Georgia. But really, the lessons that we can learn from DeKalb County, uh, in my opinion, can be ones that uh, are instrumental for other counties to look at, because we have a uh, 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 one of the largest counties in the state of Georgia. I believe we're third. Is that right, Stan? Third in oh, population. So we're third in population. It's a massive geographical challenge. Uh, we have huge areas of very wealthy parts. Then we have areas that are not so wealthy. And then we have downtrodden areas. So uh, it really is a microcosm of the country as a whole. And I think the lessons learned here uh, can be leveraged uh, for other places across the country. So, uh, Stan, I was going to have you talk a little bit. We had our budget passed last night. And a lot of this also shows if you can have fiscal conservatives in charge of budgetary matters, or at least bringing up issues of concern. Uh, that's kind of the platform that Stan uh, ran on a couple years ago. He's running unopposed again, so he'll be the uh, commissioner or the uh, Board of Education rep for the next uh, next term as well. So what have you learned so far? Uh, what do you think about the budget that passed? And uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the issues that uh, you think will manifest. So I'm definitely big on um, financial um, responsibility. And thanks for having me on your show, Greg. Sure. Um, I would say my biggest push has get has been getting money into the classroom. And um, just like you said, um, fiscal responsibility has not been a high priority in the past. Um, if you'll recall, it was three or four years ago, the general operating fund um, was bone dry. It was in the red. I, the I, I do recall. And um, um, receipts have um, rebounded since then. And we just passed our last budget. Or we didn't pass it. We uh, presented our last budget last night. And the combined budget is about $1.2 billion. The general fund itself is um, roughly, let's see here, $955 million. And that covers salaries and building, um, maintenance, stuff like that? um, The buildings will be splossed, and that's capital outlay. So that covers um, a lot, yeah, mostly instruction, um, legal. And just basically the general operating of the school outside of um, the 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 administration and the the uh, teachers basically. Right, okay. Right. And I, I think one thing to note is um, this is roughly a hundred. Let's see here, about eighty million more than it was last year. So our budget seems to be uh, ballooning. But that being said, our um, anticipations are ballooning even faster. Our <laughs> receipts. So right now we are. Um, Our operating surplus is about $227 million. That means we have $227 million in the bank and cash um, ready to be spent. That sounds good to me. That is uh, not so bad. Um, A lot of that will be spent throughout the year, and right now um, will be spent faster than sales taxes come in. And we expect uh, by the beginning of next year to have roughly $124 million in the bank. 
So that gives us a lot of leeway to do a few things. Now, how, how fast is the school system growing student-wise? Like, what percentage? Is it a five-year annual increase? I know Gwinnett is growing faster percentage-wise, uh, and they're a massive county. There, I think they're the second biggest county. But um, We currently have... Um, 102,000 students. Okay. And I would say three or four years ago, we had about 98,000. So, so we're, we're, it's actually not growing that fast it then. It's not growing that fast. Um, I would say South DeKalb growth is um, very stale. Okay. Um, north of 78, it's uh, doing pretty good. Okay. Um, but with uh, that much surplus, it has given us the flexibility to do, do a number of things that I wanted to do. And um, Dr. Green, our new superintendent, who came in last July, this is his uh, first budget process, has um, been very receptive to my ideas. Um, we are currently going to give the teachers, um, as well as every employee, a 3% pay raise across the board. For the teachers, this will be the third pay raise they've received in 12 months. In addition to the pay raise... They've gotten three raises in a year? Three raises I need to get year. back into teaching. <laughs> I'm kidding. They're not exactly the highest paid. Right. For such an extremely response, uh, important job, right. these people are taking care of um, our little snowflakes, and um, <laughs> I think every teacher should be making six figures. Um, oh, well, the good ones. I, yeah. I, w I would say that uh, if we <laughs> – not all of them should be, right? Well, and that is a completely different issue in right. itself. I would love to feed our eagles um, for sure. Mm -hmm. Right now – I am trying to get as much money into the classroom. Yeah, well, because we had, you know, kept them from getting raises back in 2007, 2008 when the financial crisis hit. All budgets were, were hit uh, across the board. The state of Georgia in general was down to about $16 billion annually, and we're back up to $24 billion just in uh, seven or eight years. So, uh, And I'm sure the school system is, is also uh, recovering from that. Correct, and... Um Teachers have lost their step increases for, uh, I lost track, that's got to be seven, eight years now. They okay. Seen Nicola, their cost of living increases. So this is definitely a um, very important raise. Um, this keeps the teachers in the metro Atlanta area and DeKalb at average or slightly above average to the other teachers. Mm -hmm. um, Fulton and Cobb, I think, just announced that they are alone. Each uh, district is hiring roughly 700 new teachers. Um, I haven't seen the numbers for how many teachers we're hiring. But we all need teachers, and the yeah. best way to get teachers is um, to pay them. Yeah. I love my teachers, and nothing says love like pay the order <laughs> off. So let's well, I was going to say, if you ask any teacher besides getting paid more, they also want smaller classroom sizes. And um, that's, uh, you know, I, you were probably on the way here when I was talking about the show uh, or prefacing it. But, it, you know, my opinion is that, that we – if we want to keep this same standard of living without going into debt, now the counties have to be fiscally sound, but they can they still get money from the federal government. Uh, it, to me, if we want to keep everything going the way it is, we either have to have less of a role of government or people have to pay more taxes. That's the honest argument that the political parties need to have. And this, is, this, is, this is mixing in the federal uh, aspect of it as well. I think that... I would, uh, give, I would uh, propose a third option of okay. maybe having the money that we spend, spend it more wisely. Well, of course. And that is the fiscal stewardship that you've referred to. And also, and this helps me segue into uh, kind of our next topic, which is the uh, tax allocation district uh, in Doraville that has come under some... Um, 
strange opposition, I guess, is the best way for me to describe it. I've been keeping up with this. I've been a, a resident of DeKalb County since 2002. I'm kind of in the middle part in uh, the Toco Hills area, kind of near Decatur. But obviously what happens in the north part of DeKalb impacts everywhere else in DeKalb. And when you see a huge swath of land and a property that looks like it's relying just on private sector money, which is the old GM plant up in uh, Doraville that has a MARTA station already there, lots of wins for this property. We're coming up against some opposition from people on the school board, it seems like. Um, tell me about that. And well, tell me about the, ta- the TAD in general because I... Sure, if we could back up just uh, 10 seconds. Um, I would say not only what happens at the um, old GM plant site, um, it affects DeKalb, it affects Georgia. It is the largest uh, potential development in the southeast as we speak. So I think the, um, uh, the reaches for the effects of this go way beyond um, DeKalb and potentially Georgia. So if um, you haven't discussed it earlier with uh, your listeners, a TAD, if you don't know, is a tax allocation district. It's a defined area. And um, the particular area that um, the school district has um, been looking at is um, the old GM um, plant site. And that's in a city called Dorville and North DeKalb. And so currently, the GM plant site um, pays about $960 million in uh, property taxes. And with a TAD, um, they would continue to pay that money. And as improvements are made, and development occurs, um, the, there will be an increase in the value, and that increase um, will, they will have to pay taxes on that increase, but with a TAD, those taxes um, go into a separate bucket, um, which get assigned to whatever projects they agree on. Um, there's a number of projects. There's um, you know watershed, there's streets, and there's also a very important uh, $50 million-ish dollar project to connect the GM plant site to the MARTA station there. And that's really going to be uh, the biggest bang for our, our buck. In right. Well, and that'll help with uh, traffic. A, a, a whole wealth of opportunity in this project. And, um, you know, from my research on it, and the good thing is is uh, both uh, you and your wife have been very diligent about posting the actual facts on it, it seems that some of the folks that are against it don't really understand um, – the, the process, I saw w- w- one quote from uh, Dr. Melvin uh, Johnson saying that, yes, we'll be losing $980,000 per month um, if we approve this. And that, to me, was uh, didn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's 980000 a year, I believe. I would say I started my political career on just fact-checking to get out the facts. If I do nothing else, I would like to get out the facts. Let's talk about the truth, what's going to happen. And then we'll make our decision from there. And um, I think uh, Dr. Johnson has since then corrected a statement. Okay. I think was confused. But nevertheless, so fact one is that whatever taxes are being paid now and being collected by the school district and the county and the city, with a TAD, they will continue to collect that money. It's just the money above and beyond that. The um, improved The improved value. value. Very well said. Because right now, it looks like the zombie apocalypse, folks. If you're fans of The Walking Dead, if you go by the Doraville plant, it well, it is going through some construction. Choat uh, construction is doing some stuff up there, but it's not nearly the uh, the gleam in the. Uh, it's a gleam in the eye right now. I guess is what uh, the best way to describe it. It's got a lot of potential. And, and here's where it gets complicated. Um, many people assume that our choice is between a tad or no tad. 
But that's not actually the case. There is an entity called a tax a um, development authority. The state has a development authority, the county, and the city. And as you well know, you may have heard that the Hawks Training Center was just abated by one of the development authorities, the Brookhaven Development Authority. And what that means is with one failed swoop, they decide that they pay no taxes whatsoever. Um, this particular one, the Hawks Training Center, was for 15 years. Um, the county for 15 years will get no taxes. The school district will get no taxes. Um, the uh, Perimeter Summit last year was abated by one of the development authorities. Now, I am not a huge fan of the powers granted to these development authorities, but that being said, it is what it is, and if we do not grant this TAD, if the school board does not grant this TAD, um, the GM plant site will be abated. So our choice is to continue to collect mm-hmm. that roughly million dollars a year, mm-hmm. or this place will get Collect. abated, and we get Collect. no taxes whatsoever right. for 15 years. Well, let's years. take our break here, uh, the 245 break. But, I, yeah, I want to follow up with that because that, to me, should be the crux of the real question. And once the property is fully developed, after the uh, TAD, ex- the TAD will expire eventually, correct? The TAD um in the intergovernmental agreement, the IGA, it's set to expire after 25 years. 25 years. Well, that is a long time. So well, anyway, let's go ahead and take our break. We'll be back with Stan Jester on Greg's List. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. 
We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's Live, the home of serious journalism. We're wrapping up with Stan Jester, DeKalb Board of Education member, and uh, talking about a project that has uh, certainly DeKalb County implications, certainly Metro Atlanta statewide implications, but maybe uh, even regional in the southeast, and that is the redevelopment of this uh, property over in Doraville in North DeKalb, right next to 285. There's a MARTA station there. Uh, a lot of folks are calling it the uh, Atlantic State. Station Part 2, which is a huge uh, retail and banking um, uh, uh, thing that was set up kind of in West Midtown. Uh, that was been um, 10 years ago. And the interesting thing that I that I think is in, uh, in concurrence with these, Stan, is that both of them were on built on top of properties that had already been developed. We're not tearing down trees, so we shouldn't piss off a lot of tree huggers here uh, because th- these sites are basic. They were empty. The Atlanta Station one had all sorts of chemical problems. It had to they be- had a lot of remediation. <laughs> the, the feds came in and helped them out a lot. And I would also like to point out that the Atlantic Station was built using a TAD. They could have not have built it the way it is without their TAD. Now, the GM plant site, what they did at this site was they put pieces together um, they didn't smelt um, any kind of um, metal or anything. So the remediation at the site has been relatively um, minimal. Mm-hmm. And so that's just been another huge part to the site. So you're saying basically from what we just talked about, there's three different development authorities which are granted broad powers by the uh, the state that could come in and abate this property forever. And that would kind of uh, get the de- uh, Board of Education, y'all would lose uh, almost a million dollars per year if that happened, correct? It- there is no doubt. If we do not go forward with this TAD, it will be abated. They could shop around to any of these development authorities. But I am confident, um, Doraville is confident, that if we do not go with this TAD, the Doraville Development Authority, whatever it's called, um, is going to abate this so property. This, this and we will lose $960,000 okay. um, yeah. every year. Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to happen. I guess that is what people need to understand. That they're, that uh, fighting this, and, and I don't really know why somebody would want a perpetual eyesore uh, there anyway. There's, uh, for folks in the for not qu- completely familiar with it, there's the Doraville Marta Station, which is the northernmost uh, heavy rail uh, station. It goes up kind of the I-85 corridor, and um, there's a brand smart there. They're putting in a, a car dealership there. So there's some there's some good retail coming in. But this project that's uh, that's really on the on the docket is not using any public sector money, which is far different than the one that uh, the county was trying to shop a few years ago, where they were going to provide thirty or forty percent of the money for this public private uh, development. And we all know how those work out, right? The profits are privatized and the losses are sent to the public. So to me, this is a project that's smart growth, smart development, could be a huge, will be a huge regional boon. It just matters if the Board of Education gets left out. And I understand the debate about whether or not you use um, public funds um, 
to finance some of these larger projects. Um, unfortunately, that is not even one of the options. So our option is TAD or abatement. Um, some sort of public financing is going to be used. And if we don't do a TAD, they're going to abate. And if they abate, with an abatement, you cannot bond the way you can with a TAD. So if we abate, the infrastructure will be a lot more minimal. It's not going to attract um, the type of a development we want. You're going to end up with um, Best Buys, um, strip malls, apartments, and it's not going to be anything like Atlantic Station. Um, with an abatement, they're not going to be able to connect the Marta Station to the GM plant site. Right. And so, to me, connecting the public transportation option, uh, I can envision this having, you know, sh- shuttles uh, carrying people to and fro. Uh, the uh, The Atlantic Station development has really, uh, Cirque du Soleil hosts their um, event down there uh, every year. Well, I guess it's uh, whenever they tour here. And if you look and see what uh, other development that the Atlantic Station in Midtown has been able to get, they have... Uh, concerts there they did the shaky knees festival they just it's turned into a real uh gathering place for the community and since the land is basically already excavated it's already been flattened it just needs a a lot of (laughs) removal uh from the the you know this was a massive gm plant i think they had four thousand employees there at one point back in uh back in the good old days but uh at this point it's uh it's kind of an empty patch of land there are some little nibbles at the sides of it but uh to me it's important that the actual issue of the project's going to happen. It's whether or not DeKalb County schools are left out. And I'm open for the debate. I'm here to listen to what Dorville has to say. The most important part is that the school district refuses to let the developer and the city come in and even talk to the TAD, talk about the TAD to us. Um, at the board meeting yesterday, I briefly uh, discussed the TAD with some of the board members, and I do not believe that many of them even understand how the TAD works. So I would just appreciate the conversation Mm -hmm. with the city so that we could better understand the implications and then make a decision um, up or down. So basically let the Dorville people uh, and maybe the developer present to the folks that are going to be making this decision just so they can get the complete information. And then if they need to bring in, uh, it's almost like a trial where they can bring in their own expert witness. you, You guys are just advocating for the chance to, to talk about this and educate people, which is why I wanted to have you on the show. After my research, it didn't take me long to figure out that this is a win for everybody, but it does. you got to you know di- peel back the onion peel a little bit. I would like to see what the city and the developers have to say. Um, after speaking with them, after giving my questions, then I'll make a decision. But the most important part is having that discussion, which we're currently not having. Yep. Well, I agree with that. So uh, anything else on the horizon? Test scores uh, going up? Uh, so you may or may not know we have an East Blast coming up. Um, this East Blast is slightly different in that we don't have a project list attached to it. Um, I voted no. I like to see a project list, but um, that referendum um, will be coming up for a one-penny sales tax that um, continues this Blast 4. Um, it starts in 2017, and that referendum will be on the May ballot. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I typically um, uh, I vote based on the issue and as somebody that lives in DeKalb County I know that they're going to get their money one way or the other to me having a uh, um, a a a bright uh, future for public education is important to our local economy and making sure children are educated. So I typically will vote 
yes on a East Bluff sales tax because I know they're going to get the money one way or the other. And if you actually own property in DeKalb County like I do, I'd much rather have everybody paying uh, that visits visits DeKalb County rather than just the folks that own property. Is that a fair way to look at things, do you think? Um, partly. I'm definitely for a um, sales tax over property tax. Mm-hmm. Property tax, they come in and they take your money. Sales tax is optional. You have um, a decision to make whether or not you buy something. That being said, um, if we were to lower the millage rate um, $100 million a year, then I would um, consider um, maybe East Bloss would be a, okay. a good so idea. So you just want to pay for the tax increase. <laughs> yeah, right. So – I would say that as much money as we're getting um, these days, um, just this year alone, we are already $40 million over what we had anticipated. Like I said, we have $227 million in cash in the bank. So your biggest fear is just filling the coffers and then not spending it wisely. Right. That being said, the superintendent yesterday said that he was open to the discussion of lowering the millage rate. Um, so I am definitely looking forward. That's great. Sounds it like was, we're making some progress in DeKalb. It was lowered to 0.25 last year. I am looking forward to a much, much lower millage rate. <laughs> Currently, DeKalb schools or the county of DeKalb pays the second highest school district millage rate in the state. There are 180 schools districts. Um, DeKalb's is the second highest behind Rockdale. We are currently at 23.73. The Constitution says um, we school districts can only pay 20 mils, but um, there was a, a referendum 20, 30 years ago that um, allows us to go over that constitutional max, maximum. I need to start having some kids so I can get some, some money back on this. I know you guys have, <laughs> you and Nancy have three, keeping the world safe for Social Security and getting your money's worth from the uh, public education system that uh, we all work so hard on. Uh, Stan Jester joined us live in studio today. Wanted to thank him for coming out. Uh, what is your website, Fact Checker? What Fact Checker.stanjester.com. Okay. And that's what I've been able to uh, refer to. Also, uh, his wife writes a lot about education and uh, general uh, infrastructure issues uh, facing the cab. Was well, that Tim Eccles, public service commissioner uh, for the state of Georgia, one of the uh, commissioners? And a really interesting conversation with him. Uh, I thought uh, I, I was able to glean a lot, and I got to talk a little bit about my least favorite tax credit, which was the electrical vehicle one. I'm not sure I was convinced that it's a good thing, but uh, Tim was able to give a rational argument for it. So, as always, thank you all for listening. Replay the show will be on at 6 p.m. tonight. Thanks for listening. Uh, Greg's List on AmericasWebRadio.com. We will see you next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.